Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to welcome to Christmas uh, season. Um, there are there are several miracles that we are celebrating this season. Uh, other than the major miracle uh, that we celebrate every year around this time in the uh, the birth of Christ, uh, the second miracle is uh, we've made it almost to the end of the year, and the 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 felt board has not fallen apart. <laughs> I didn't think we'd make it a whole year uh, with this thing. I thought for sure we'd rebuild it about five times uh, throughout the year, but here we have made it. So we are headed down the home stretch and uh, we are now entering um, the Christmas story. So everybody take a guess who this is. Yes, Abraham. Um, yeah, so of course we're starting off the uh, Christmas story with Abraham, and uh, here I got to tell you, um, there's a conversation we're going to have here um, between two entities, one being Abraham and the other being God. Now, the uh, the uh, the flannel graph people um, do not have a God flannel graph which led Dee to declare this morning uh, as we head into Advent season uh, that we have no God. <laughs> when she was asking me which characters we needed for the story, uh, there was the declaration. Um, so there you go. We have no God. I'm not sure if we killed him or if it was anyone else. But uh, anyway, um, so we decided how are we going to portray this conversation with God? So we went with Cloud. Right? Because cloud is God, right? <laughs> oh, uh, silly, silly people. Um, yeah, so there's going to be a conversation uh, that God has with Abraham. And, you know, the scriptures doesn't tell us how did God say this. He just said God told Abraham. We don't know if he showed up in person, if he sent a messenger, if he did, you know, voice from the sky, you know, dream. We don't know. So um, I'm totally making this part of it up. Uh, that it's, it's cloud and voice God is what we're having today. So God says to Abraham, and I guess this was kind of a, I say conversation, but this was a little more one-sided. Um, God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, two things. One, I want you to pack up everything that you have in your immediate family. And I want you to move away from everywhere, everyone and everything that you've ever known. Move. Now, that's a little disconcerting to him, but uh, he continues. He's like, all right, and it's not just that I want you to move. It's that I am going to make you a great nation. And, and, and the world will be blessed through you. And even more than that, through this whole experience of you moving away to nothing and uh, the world being blessed through you after I make you a great nation, I'm on your side and so anyone who blesses you, I'm going to bless. And anyone who curses you, I'm going to curse. And thus starts our Christmas story. <laughs> right? Because Christmas, every year, um, Christmas, Christmas just kind of seems to grow. Uh, we started out Christmas this year uh, in New York City, celebrating uh, my wife's 40th birthday. Woohoo! Yeah, so already it's the biggest uh, Christmas uh, that, uh, really Christmas season that I've experienced so far. First time in New York around Christmas time. It was fantastic. Um, 
the last night we were there, we were walking back uh, to the hotel with, uh, looked over at one of my sons, and I said, uh, how do you like the city? And he's like, good. And I'm like, well, uh, tell me, what do you like? He's like, well, there's no earth here. <laughs> Which is true, but there was a lot of Christmas lights and Christmas decorations and tall buildings and great play. It was a fantastic way to start the Christmas season. But it just seems like every year, Christmas is just kind of this thing that it's like a snowball rolling down the hill. The further it gets, just the bigger it seems to get. And I was, you know, thinking about, you know, why is it that it seems to get bigger Um you know, everything about it, like, I just, it just seems like every year I keep trying to add more and more onto the lights on my house, so much so that this year I unpacked it, and I'm like, okay, okay, I want to get a little bit up, but, um, you know, I don't remember what all this stuff is. <laughs> I'm starting to lose track of what goes where and how things go up. Um, you know, holiday spending just seems to keep going and going on. You'd have thought that uh, a couple years of pandemic would have put a little damper on holiday spending. no. No, if you look at the charts, it's just a steady climb up. We are closing in on this year. Uh, we are closing in on a trillion dollars of spending throughout the holiday season. Like that is almost unfathomable, that amount of money being spent. And, and, and as I was thinking, why, why is it that this is happening? And, and from my perspective, I think part of it is, is that have you ever like, you grew up somewhere as a little kid or you had experiences as a kid. And then later in life, like you went back to that place and it just didn't seem as big. Like, I remember it being bigger than this. Anybody ever have that experience? Like the house you grew up in, you drive down the road and you're like, wait, that's small. I remember this house being big. You know, it, it, it's, I wonder if there's an element of that at play that as adults, as we get older, in order to keep Christmas feeling like, it does in our memories as kids because it was so big, you know, that we do more and more and more and it just grows and it grows and grows. But I've noticed that there's one part of Christmas that doesn't really ever seem to grow along with all of the other parts. And that's, that's the Christmas story. The story itself. Um, it, it doesn't, and keeping the Christmas story in, in some sort of place amongst all of the other Christmas stuff that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge for the season to not overtake the story. But that, that isn't the only challenge when it comes to the Christmas story. Um, the story itself can be a challenge because there is so much that is miraculous, that is amazing, that is, if I want to be quite honest, unbelievable. Um, in fact, a lot of people just don't believe it, right? A lot of people are like, oh, that's a great story. That's it. And I get that maybe the thought is, you know, uh, they had to come up with some sort of myth, you know, that gives, gives Jesus a little more street cred later on when he's trying to do his things. He can point back to like, oh yeah, virgin birth. Like that was the thing, you know, maybe, you know, people think maybe that's where it came from. And it's interesting because Matthew um, gives us the story of the birth of Jesus and Luke gives us the story of the birth of Jesus, but Mark and John don't. And for it to be such an incredibly miraculous thing, you would have thought, mm, those guys and right in their their, their version of the life of Christ, you need to think that maybe they'd uh, mention that. And a lot's been made of the fact that it's absent out of those two accounts of the gospel. Um, but I'm not caught up in all of that. 
Uh, mostly because of the resurrection. That keeps me from getting caught up into all of that stuff. Because as we've said many times, um, if a person can predict their own resurrection and then follow through with it, I don't really care too much how they got here. (laughs) Like that kind of just makes this whole conversation about, "Eh, did that really happen? Eh, not. It takes that away from me. And Christianity doesn't hinge on the birth narrative. It hinges on the resurrection. And yet as unbelievable as the birth narrative is, the Christmas story is actually a whole lot more than that. A whole lot more than the birth narrative. Because see, to most of us, the, 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 the Christmas story is about a chapter and a half in Matthew and about another chapter and a half in Luke, right? But in actuality, the story goes way further back in the scriptures than that. And when you realize the scope of the Christmas story, it really is quite remarkable. Because the story of Christmas, um, you know, you're looking at my story about Abraham and you're like maybe trying to figure out how to connect the dots. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound very Christmassy to me. Well, yeah, not in the traditional sense, but the story of Christmas, it doesn't begin with a couple who is trying to figure out um, how in the world they got pregnant. (laughs) right? Trying to explain that away to everybody. No, the Christmas story actually begins with a couple that worries if they will ever be pregnant. It doesn't begin with a couple trying to figure out where they're going to have a baby, right? It begins with a couple that doubts they are ever going to have to figure that problem out. And the bigger view of Christmas, it doesn't begin with angels making an announcement to some freaked out shepherds, Right? It begins with God making a promise in the book of Genesis. That's where it starts. And not just any promise, a literal, unbelievable, and impossible promise. One that can't possibly be kept. Yet, this promise is what sets up the entire Christmas story. And the story around this promise is really what makes Christmas so believable. Now, this conversation and this promise, this happened about 2,000 years before Jesus was born, found in the book of Genesis. Um, But as we talk about this, try to not think the Bible. I know it's real easy for us to kind of think of the Bible as the one thing, Um, but try and, and keep in mind that Genesis was a document Right? It was a document uh, that the Jewish people had that was over 3,000 years old. And the document tells us uh, how the Jewish nation began. It's the story of God in Israel. And there are several of these documents. That it was so important to the Jewish people that they, they copied it meticulously by hand at great expense, handed it down through the years. Eventually, it became a collection of documents which were eventually known as the Jewish scriptures. And in this ancient Jewish document, we find this promise, this unbelievable promise that God gave to Abraham. So here's here's how Christmas begins. Here's the scriptural account of of this, this promise. Genesis chapter 12, verse one. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, we aren't sure why God chose, and at the time he was Abram, he would become Abraham later in the story, but we don't know why 
God chose Abram any more than we know why he really chose anybody else in the scriptures to do anything. That's not, that's not very clear. But he, he tells Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know, which at the time and in that culture was very, very dangerous. Because security in ancient times had everything to do with your clan, your tribe, the group of people around you, your family, your relatives. That was where security came from. So he's asked to leave everything that he knows, the security and the security that goes along with that. And God doesn't even tell him where he wants him to go. He just says, leave and I'll show you where to end up. And then the promises begin. Here it is. Verse two, promise one, I will make you a great nation. Now, Abram at the time is around 75 years old that this story has taken place. And he doesn't have any children, <laughs> right? So he may have thought to himself, as God is saying, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Like, I don't know about a great nation, God, but I'd eventually just ha- be happy to maybe be a grandfather. Like if we can just work out that, that would, be, that would be pretty great. But the promises keep going. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will na- make your name great. In other words, Abram, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you famous. I'm gonna make you famous. To which you probably thought, nah, I'm not gonna be famous. I'm gonna be forgotten. And the reason that he probably assumed that he would be forgotten is because if he left everybody and everything that he knew, chances are nobody would ever know he existed. Right? The promise keeps going. And you will be a blessing. Now, within the cultural context of that time, this line made absolutely no sense to Abram when he heard it. Made no sense because this was an extraordinary time of violence in human history. In fact, one of the things that may bug you when you read the Bible and read the Old Testament in specifically uh, is all of the violence and bloodshed in it, right? Because it's, it's pretty bad. But people were not in the habit of blessing anyone else other than their own family, their own little tribe. That was the only people that they would bless. And God says, God says, mm, nothing, nothing, nothing is gonna get in the way of this promise. Verse three, he says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, Abram, I'm going to be a part of your story from here on out, right? And I'm gonna be part of your children's story. And I'm going to be a part of their children's story. In fact, I'm going to be a part of this story all the way up until it is completed. And nothing is going to stop it. And then God gets to probably the most unbelievable part of the entire promise that he gives them. Here's what he says. All people on earth will be blessed through you. All people. Every people group, every tribe, every clan, every gathering of people who share the same language as each other will eventually, Abram, be impacted through your life. Everybody on the planet is going to know your name, right? And, and, and be indirectly touched by your life through what I am about to do. 
And the thing that was so strange about this promise is that in that culture, people did not bless people and nations did not bless other nations. It just didn't happen. In fact, it was the opposite. Nations conquered. Nations enslaved. Nations plundered each other. They did not bless each other. And so this made absolutely no sense. Yet in Genesis, we're told that Abram chooses to believe the impossible. So eventually, Abraham and Sarah did have a son, a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And the line of David and Jesus goes through Jacob. And it should have gone through Esau, but if you remember earlier in the year, we told a story of how Jacob stole Esau's birthright, tricked Esau into selling it, right? Which was really sneaky. But as I thought about that aspect of that line and how it altered and didn't go through Esau, instead ended up going through Jacob, uh, I thought about how much dysfunction there was in this family as a whole. Because a lot of times we, you know, not a lot of times, most of us in our family somewhere have a level of dysfunction happening. And it's easy to elevate people on a platform and think that theirs was all figured out. And it's easy to do that in scripture when you look at some of these people that, you know, you've known their names forever. There was a lot of dysfunction down through the line, right? And so much, there, in fact, there's so much dysfunction and chaos in this part of the Bible um, that I think you should read a lot of it this holiday season because it might make you feel a lot better about your family <laughs> and the things that you've got to put up with. Because Jacob steals Esau's birthright. That was a thing that happened. Um, Abraham, Abraham in this story ends up telling people that his wife is his sister, Gets weird, right? So then Jacob, Jacob had 11 sons who sold the 12th son into slavery because they hated him so much because Jacob liked him so much. Like there are levels of dysfunction going on within this family that are absolutely crazy. But it's through that last one, it's through that last one where Joseph got sold into slavery in which Israel becomes, as God promised, a nation. And so the idea that God's like, I'm going to make this promise and I'm going to use the extreme dysfunction in the family to fulfill it kind of blows my mind and gives me a slight bit of hope that there's something to come out of some of our dysfunctional family uh, relationships. So they became a nation. Problem was, is that when they became a nation, they were a slave nation. And for several hundred years, they are a slave nation, not feeling blessed and not feeling in any position to bless others, right? And after hundreds of years, God sent Moses as a deliverer to finally bring them out of that. And by the time Moses and the Israelites have left Egypt, no one in Egypt was feeling very blessed, from the descendants of Abraham. Not a good time. Then, then, then they make their way into the promised land. Finally, the land of Canaan. And the inhabitants of Canaan certainly did not feel blessed by the nation of Israel. 
and the descendants of Abraham who showed up in their land and took it. So we're hundreds of years down the road. Part of the promise has come true. A nation has been created. That blessing part, not so much. Not so much. Again, if you read those parts of the Old Testament where, you know, they went in and they took the land from the Canaanites, you see all of the violence and you wonder how could God be a part of that? And the short answer is this, is that, is that what, was, what offends us in those stories of the violence, that was just normal to them. That was what culture was at the time. We're, we're offended by that because we're on the other side of Christmas, right? We see the world in a completely different way than how the world viewed itself and operated in that time. Then about another hundred years go by, right? And God makes, God, after, after God had made the initial promise to Abraham, about a hundred years go by, right? Abram's family had finally become a nation, turned into the kingdom of Israel. And for the first time under King David, the nation of Israel finally finds itself in a position to bless other nations, right? To do something significant in the world around them. And then David's son, Solomon, he even expands the reach of Israel and the nation even more to the point where people are traveling from other nations to sit and hear Solomon teach, to hear his wisdom, to see the wonders of the construction that he did and the temple that he built. And for the first time, it looks like maybe, maybe, maybe Israel is going to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Then the story takes a dive. Because instead of being a blessing to the rest of the world, Solomon chooses to let the rest of the world bless him. And he does that through taking brides from other nations, marrying the daughters in surrounding nations. And in the process, bringing in the gods that they worship into the nation of Israel. And Solomon at times chose to worship their gods as well. So as a response, God kept a promise, but not the promise that he had made to Abraham. Mm -mm. It was a promise that he had made to Solomon, right? Because God had warned Solomon. He had said, listen, if you forsake me, and go after other gods, I will divide the nation and I will tear down the temple that you have built in my name. And sure enough, sure enough, when Solomon died, the nation was divided, split into two pieces, opportunity lost. For the next 200 years, there was chaos in the split kingdom right? Eventually the Northern kingdom was invaded by Syria, Assyria. Assyria uh, carts off many of the, uh, the best citizens of the nation into Babylon, right? Brings other people in to replace them. Begins to, begins to uh, water down the concentration of the impact of the Jewish people within their areas, Eventually, eventually the Northern kingdom ceased to exist. It just was no more. 
The Southern kingdom was then on the verge of invasion and implosion at the same time. And if you look at it in that point of history, you're hundreds and hundreds of years down the road and Israel can't even take care of and bless itself, let alone be a blessing to anyone else, let alone the entire world. And in all of this chaos that's going on within the nation of Israel, God sends the prophet Isaiah to speak to the nation. And Isaiah, he writes down his prophecy and it's been preserved and passed on until eventually we have it as part of our Bible. Here's what God told the nation of Israel in the midst of all of that chaos. He said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Gentiles is all of the non-Jewish people. I'm going to do something through you so that all of the Gentiles look in your direction and you will be a light to them. And the Israelites, as they heard this, their thought and their reaction to this new promise from God through the prophet, their reaction was, this must be some sort of cruel joke, right? This must, they must've laughed. Like we can't even light our own lives, let alone be a light for the world. In fact, it looks as if we are not even going to be a nation very much longer. But the prophecy kept going. So I'll make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And they were like, get out of here with salvation to the ends of the earth. We can't even save ourselves. Not only did what God was saying to them in this moment seem unreasonable and impossible, it seemed downright offensive as because of what they were facing, the elimination of themselves as a nation. Soon after that, Assyria moves down and invades the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom of Israel essentially just becomes a vassal state through Assyria. Right? The nation in, in every measurable way had been decimated. It was no more. And in the midst of this chaos, right, God sends the prophet Malachi. And his words that Malachi gives, just, I mean, I'm going to say impossible because I just don't have the vocabulary to really get across just how ridiculous this was. There was no reason for them to believe any of it, any of it. Here's what God said through Malachi. My name will be great amongst the nations. And they thought, no, your, your name, God, will not be great amongst the nations. Your name is mocked amongst the nations. Every other nation thinks you're a joke and can't even defend your own nation, right? Your name will certainly never be great amongst them. We can't even feed ourselves at this point. So, so God, if you could do us a favor, let's, let's just dispense with the hype. Let's face reality, right? We will never be a blessing, to another nation, but God wasn't finished. He kept going. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great amongst the nations. In other words, anywhere that people gather to worship, I will be acknowledged. But the people of Israel, they couldn't hear that. 
They couldn't hear. How could they? They were conquered, battered, defeated people. They had nothing to stand on. Eventually, they found themselves under Roman occupation. Right? So in effect, God was partially right. Right? The descendants of Abraham would become a nation. That happened. But it would end there. Because of all the nations of the world, none would be blessed by the descendants of Abraham. Israel, it was inconceivable. In no way would become a light to the world. Right? And the Jewish God would not be worshiped throughout the world because no one interest is interested in a God that cannot take care of his own people. And all of that, all of that is why the Christmas story is so much bigger and has so much more scope than just a chapter and a half in the book of Luke. Because when things were as hopeless as they could possibly be, right? When God's promise to Abraham seemed more impossible than it ever had before. The apostle Paul years later, he was telling, he was telling the story. He would say this when he was telling the story. He would say, but when the set time had fully come, meaning, when God had everything just the way that he wanted it, right? There was an expanding empire at the time that, that was exporting a common Greek and Roman culture that was exporting a, a common language around the world. Uh, there was an empire that had created a highway system unlike any the world had ever known before that. Nations and people were becoming connected and integrated in ways that up to that point had not existed. A port system that, that connected all major population hubs around the Mediterranean rim was now in existence. The peace of Rome, right, where generations of wars were at rest, Right, when at last there was a mechanism for God to grab the attention of the world. When there was a way for him to export the message that would get to and bless every single nation. When everyone, everyone had lost hope and nobody was thinking about God's impossible promise to Abraham. When nobody was expecting it, but yet the situation was perfect for it. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was... Everybody in the world knows the virgin's name, don't they? Everybody. How? How did that happen? The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And no one in this part of the world at this time really felt 
that the Lord was with them. The nation of Israel had not felt that the Lord was with them for hundreds of years. God had been silent. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And then here's the clincher. And just, just, just as the original promise made no sense to Abraham, this, this part probably made no sense to Mary. His kingdom will never end. So in the end, God completes, kept his complete promise to Abraham. Every nation in the world would indeed be blessed through Abraham. Israel would be a light to the world through the life, through the teaching, through the death, through the resurrection of Christ. This little part of the world became a light. See, most of us, we fall into the Gentile category of some of those scriptures. And the God that we worship is the God of the Jewish people. And the reason that the Jewish scriptures are so precious to us is because the story of the Jewish people is the cocoon that birthed the savior of the world whose kingdom would indeed last forever. And the thing that makes the Christmas story so believable is that it is so remarkable. You couldn't have, you couldn't have made this up. Stretched out over so many years. Not dozens of years. Not hundreds of years. Thousands of years. In times that it was so stretched out that the thread that connected the story seemed lost. You couldn't even find it. People were who were in certain sections of the story. They couldn't find it to hold on to it, even if they wanted to. People lost track and lost sight of it. But during that entire period of time, stretching out that over that entire story, God was working behind the scenes to get the world ready, to get it to that moment, that appointed time for what he was going to do. The Christmas story isn't just a chapter and a half in the New Testament. It encompasses so much more than that. So much more. It encompasses not just thousands of years before those, that chapter and a half, but it has continued to unfold throughout history after that chapter and a half. Christmas is so much bigger than just that little moment of a birth. And the reason that it is so much bigger is because the entire world needs Christmas. 
The entire world needs it. And God worked out the story of Christmas on the world stage where many of history's most famous people would end up just being footnotes to this story. The story of a Jewish carpenter. A story that reminds us that God is active even when it seems like he is not. A story that reminds us that even when we don't see how things will work, God can be trusted. But the Christmas story is even larger than all of that. Because not only did the world need Christmas, but God needed Christmas too. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for this season. Lord, that it provides opportunity for us to look back not just on the story of a child being born, but to look back on what you have done throughout history. The way you have honored and fulfilled your promises. The way that you have come through and the ways that you said you would come through. The way that you have proven yourself to be trustworthy. Lord, through, through so much destruction, through so much devastation, through so much dysfunction, you kept the story and the promise alive and Lord, in a small way, may our lives be a microcosm of that story. That in our lives, when there are times of disappointment and dysfunction and destruction, and God, when we don't necessarily see how we are going to be able to trust you, that God, you in our lives show that you are indeed who you say you are, that you'll do what you say you will do, that you are trustworthy. And that we can be a part of being the light to the world around us. Lord, I thank you not just for Christmas, but I thank you that Christmas is so much larger than just the story of the birth of a child. Lord, be with us as we go this week. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out this week to start off Christmas season with us. Look forward to next week as we discuss why God needed Christmas.